From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated paneling electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hiya to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations across North America, and those of you catching the YouTube live stream at Strange Planet, and hi there to those of you in the YouTube live chat. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, we are going to continue on uh, with our discussion with uh, writer, researcher, adventurer, survivalist Stefan Verstappen as uh, we continue to discuss how to create communities uh, in times of strife, disaster. And he is working on a new book. In, uh, it's, uh, it's a crowdfunded project. It's called The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. And um, the, uh, the, the book uh, also will feature sort of template documents, how to form a, a, a charter or how to write a charter. Uh, for members of your community, almost like a constitution. Think about, it's almost as if you're creating sort of a miniature version of your, your, your provincial or, or, or federal government. You're replacing that, uh, with various uh, committees of food committees and, and, uh, and, and shelter teams and nourishment teams and health teams, etc. Uh, all right, Stefan, in the last hour, uh, let's see now, where did we leave off? Oh, the various teams. We were talking about the communication team. Right. So the communication team is then responsible for running a website that all members can access and, and update and find out what's going on and the progress of things. And hopefully at this stage, the your community, which might have started out as a lending circle, which might have started out as a uh, a food co-op or a buying group, now they realize things are getting bad, and so they're going to slowly morph into more of a survivalist community. And then when you form into a survivalist community, you have to, you have to get ready, and you have to designate duties and responsibilities. And again, this is you know, why it's really important to have this kind of a plan, because you can't get you know, 20 people meet up at City Hall. Oh, my God, the world is burning down. What do we do? Well, who's going to do what? And what's your responsibility? And what are your duties? And who do you answer to? And how do we solve all these different problems? This book will provide that plan in advance. And it's it's very easy to follow. And it's very clear. So communications team, right now, okay, let them run a website. And if the website goes down, they go to a telephone tree, which means for those who don't know it, if I need to get a hold of 100 people, I can't phone them all by myself. It will take me forever to phone everybody up. But you set up a telephone tree where I phone two people, and they phone each in turn phone another two people, and they each in turn phone another two people. And so this way we can get a message to all members within half an hour. So I don't have to phone everybody. I just have to phone two people. And everybody, again, they spread the word up and down the chain. It's like a flow chart. And that's another way to communicate urgent information. You know, the grid's gone down, and let's say the phones are still working. But let's say the phones aren't working. You need to get shortwave radios. 
they have a limited range, 10 miles. Again, one of the reasons why I say everybody should be within a 20-mile radius so that we can work together. You don't have to live on the same farm or in the same house or anything like that. If if the next guy in my team lives five miles away, that's perfectly fine. Communications team can get a hold of him. And, of course, we've got to pre-plan what frequencies to use. And they can use uh, ham radio. And then, again, use a telephone tree system so that the communication, the head of communications, if he needs to get out an urgent message, he gets on the ham radio, he calls the two, three closest people that will pick up his signal, and they in turn will broadcast to the two, three closest people to their signal. And again, so you've got communications. All right, so everyone in the, in the community should then be a, uh, an amateur or a ham radio operator. They need to learn how to do that. And if, well, and it's a lot easier now because you don't have to learn Morse code. Right. And also in an emergency, you don't need uh, a license to broadcast. You can broadcast in an emergency. So you don't even need to – you just need to know how to answer the, 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 the radio and how to broadcast and what frequency to be on. That's all you need to know. We have to designate this ahead of time. So we're going to go you know, VHF, 1400 hertz or something like that, and everybody in your community knows that's – the, the station to tune into and even if they don't have a uh, transmitter a scanner will do fine so long as they can receive the messages um, then they can know what's going on right. and fi- finally security team now each of these teams have multiple duties when I say nutrition or shelter that's the primary responsibility but the secondary and tertiary responsibilities encompass all facets of of life for example shelter team is responsible for community morale they they are they should organize activities for the kids play play times they should you know run game nights or a music night or you know, a barbecue uh, or a campfire and, and, you know, things that would bring the community together and give them something to do. The shelter team is also responsible for counseling, for PTSD. People are going to be freaking out. They're going to be nervous. They're going to have panic attacks. Who do you go to talk to? Well, you go to talk to the people that are in the shelter team because not only is their responsibility to make sure you're warm and dry and safe, you you know your mental and and, phys- and emotional well-being is under their responsibility too and with communications yes they got to know how to run you know uh, electronic devices telephone website uh, uh, ham radio but because those systems require electricity communications team is also responsible for alternative electricity whether it's a pedal bike that they can recharge everybody's cell phone or whether they improvise a, uh, a hydro turbine in the creek out back, or you know they use a combination of wind turbines and and uh, solar panels to run a battery system, and people can come and recharge. Or they run the generator and they bring that generator around. Do you have information? Uh, because you've got a. In addition to this book, you have uh, a lot of uh, articles and PDFs. On the survival um, topic, do you have instructions on how to build generators and so forth? Absolutely. So I offer I offer a download. Uh, if you uh, purchase uh, my download, it's called the Survival Library, 
And what I'm doing is I'm selling my books. So you get all of my books, my uh, eight books plus the the home encyclopedia from 1882, which is, you know, if we do without electricity, guess what? You're going to wake up tomorrow in 1882. And they had a very good life back in 1882. They didn't suffer very much at all. And so we'll just have to adopt those techniques. So all those books, there's five, six books, strategy and, and secret work. So if you buy my five books in PDF download, I throw in for free 280 manuals. And these manuals are divided up into the five categories that we, we've talked about. So there's, you know, 36 books on, on, uh, first aid, emergency medicine, uh, emergency surgery, how to do stitches, improvised antibiotics, improvised painkillers, uh, herbal medicines. All those manuals are in there under the title of um, a medical team. Um, same thing with um, communications team like we just talked to. There's like a dozen blueprints for improvising all kinds of alternative energy sources. It's not enough to run a city or a house, but it's enough to recharge your batteries, enough to run the computer for a while, enough to get the radio up and operating, and you know, everything from wind turbines to water turbines to um, how to make your own chemical batteries out of everyday items, things like that. Under right. um, under nourishment team, there's all kinds of books on horticulture and hydroponics, how to grow food indoors, outdoors, how to integrate different food systems together, fish ponds, fishing, livestock, chickens, rabbits, how to raise them, how to, you know, look after them if they're sick. So all those books, you know, there's like 60 books under each category. I mean, and that's why you need to keep the, the smartphone running or the, or the iPad running or the, the tablet because you, you got to be able to read all these books. Right. But Let me go so back to – secu- sorry, uh, Stefan. I want to yeah. go back to security now for a moment because this can get a little dodgy because um, – well, I mean how do you, how do you uh, suggest – we provide security for ourselves. Uh, I mean, we have police forces and so forth. You, you know, we can't we can't be forming militias. We don't have a Second Amendment up here. Well, you don't need one, and uh, yes, you yes we can form militias. Except the only thing is, you don't call it a militia. <laughs> Part of you know this book is is based on the old mutual aid society for, formula, but what I've done is I've adapted it so that. It is survivable under tyranny and uh, under a police state and under Big Brother and under the New World Order. So the security team, yes, security should be provided. And like I said, some of the uh, offshoot duties of security team is search and rescue. You know, what if somebody goes missing? You know, Bob hasn't checked in. Communications team radioed Bob. Did he have a heart attack? Did he somebody you know roving gangs of looters break into his house? Who's going to go check? Well, security team is going to go check. So security team is going to be made up of your toughest guys, the ones that have the most skills. You know, former firefighters, former police officers, uh, forestry workers. Um, you know, um, guys that are in pretty good shape. Now here in Canada, we're still allowed to purchase firearms. For how much longer, I don't know, but um, I would recommend everybody get a firearm. It's Even if it's something as simple and innocuous 
as a bolt action 22 rifle with a pink stock. <laughs> they, they make them for girls. It's all pink. I mean, it looks ridiculous. But as long as you have some kind of firearm. And the reason I say that is, for me, firearms have two purposes. One is hunting. So even with a 22 caliber bolt action, you can still shoot squirrels and raccoons, and that's probably all you're going to hit anyways, um, But and rabbits. But people live off of that. That's how the early pioneers, the voyageurs, uh, survived, you know, they ate beaver and, and raccoon and squirrels. Um, yeah, deer when you can get it, but you know, it's, it's not like you walk in the woods and there's a deer for you. Right. You can spend weeks in the woods and not see a deer, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> so you're going to be shooting small game and then fishing and things like that. So the security team is in charge of hunting. I mean, they're, they should have a firearm, but their primary, uh, use of that firearm is probably in securing protein for the community, which is, you know, hunting for animals. Now, the secondary purpose is, yes, as a community watch, as a p- private police force. So we're not talking a militia. People, when they talk about militia, I get this image that there, you know, there's 50 guys with machine guns in the woods fighting government forces. No, look, that's not going to happen. And that won't work anyways. If you do that, you're not going up against government forces in a revolutionary movement. You are going to get destroyed. But I'm not talking about government revolution. I'm thinking more in lines of what we have seen. For example, Hurricane Katrina in, La- in, in Louisiana, there in New Orleans. Well, look what happened. You know, within within hours, roving gangs of looters are breaking down doors and robbing people and raping and murdering. Well, that's more likely than. You know, we have to suddenly right. We're talking about a total breakdown in 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 uh, civility and and order. Right. So now, security team, and again, they got to coordinate with communications. Um, They're the ones that are like a a, a fast action response group. So let's say I get a, a, you know, uh, Bob, you know, three blocks away. He calls and he says, "Look, there's gangs going up and down the street." They're breaking down doors and they're robbing the places blind. So, okay, what's the best course of action? Well, we could bring Bob and his family to my house here. That might be an option. But in the meantime, I'm going to send three guys with shotguns over to Bob's house. And either, you know, they'll uh, uh, defend Bob's house because a lot of these you know, criminals are cowards. Listen, you, you got to understand these people are not heroes. And uh, the only reason they're going door to door breaking them down is because the people inside don't have guns. You fire one shot through the door at them and they all go to the next door neighbor. They, they'll leave you alone. Um, so if you got three guys there and Bob and his family, so now you got, you know, you got half a dozen guys that are armed and uh, all you have to do is fire a couple of shots in the air and they will tend to leave you alone. But if that doesn't happen, okay, then you've got three or four guys there. We might have to call in a few other people uh, to bring some, some vehicles. We pick up Bob and his family and we bring them over here. Now we've got 15 guys here with guns. We have a better chance of defending this location. Where I live now is very defensible. You know, we're uh, up way off the road. You know, we've got a heavy brick you know, field stone house, you know, with bulletproof. So uh, maybe you're better off here for a couple of weeks. Now, Stephen, let's say that people you know, follow this advice and they start to form their own communities. What if you've got 
5,000 competing communities uh, just in in the city of Oakville, for example, and then and then uh, you know there's a, some sort of a cataclysmic event. Now you've got five thousand competing communities, and they're all they're, you know in a limited number of uh, a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of protein, for example. Uh, you know, so uh, one community uh, runs into another community, and they're both they're both trying to get the same deer. You know what I'm saying? You can you can have conflict. Well, yes and no. I know that the the popular theory is that when things get really tough, everybody will be going around shooting each other and eating each other. <laughs> you know, you see that in all the movies about, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic scenarios. Everybody's a cannibal. Everybody's killing each other. But you know what? It, I don't believe that will happen, and I'll tell you why. Because I can give you a scenario, complete breakdown of law and order, all the resources destroyed, villages, cities, no law and order, no food, no medicine, no hospitals, no schools, no electricity, no heating oil. And you know what? People did not kill each other. And that is Europe during World War II. I know my family lived through the war, and I heard all the stories when I was over there. And, you know, towards the end of the war, it was really bad. I, again, half of Europe was burned out husk. There were guns lying all over the place, burned out tanks, so there was... Huge access to weapons, and um, food was very scarce. Most people were starving at the end of the war. The French were starving. The Germans were starving. The Dutch were starving. And did they all murder each other? They didn't. You know, so long as you have a homogenous community, the tendency is under that kind of stressful condition for people, it, it brings out the best and the worst. So there's going to be, you know, 10% of these people, they're just going to lose lose it completely, and they'll turn savage. But the 90% will work closer together. They'll help each other. So I really don't think, first of all, there's no way that Oakville is going to have 5,000 communities. But also, it's part of my plan, because I've thought of this, is that all these autonomous communities pool their resources and work together and barter and trade. So let's say my community happens to be, because I live right next to the river and I can throw a, 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 a net in there, I got salmon coming right up the creek here. I hear them at, in, in the summertime splashing up the creek. So I can throw a net in here and get more salmon than I could possibly eat. So I can barter that protein with another neighboring community that maybe has a bigger backyard and they've grown more corn. So I'm going to barter my salmon for their corn. It makes sense. Right. right. Uh, You're going to have to have your own flags so you can identify different communities. It, it is like they, they will be like miniature countries, right? A nation state. Well, miniature corporations, really, you know, except it's a free trade. Everybody has the option to, to, to trade, and then you can trade services. Let's say, you know, I've got uh, Bob here really knows how to fix uh, generator engines, and th- their generator is out. So I send Bob over there to fix, the en- uh, fix their generator, and re- in return, they, uh, Bob brings back, uh, you know, 500 rounds of, uh, of ammunition. So it makes more sense because everybody's going to have strong points and weak points, but if you have, you know, let's say there's a dozen communities here in Oakville, 
and we know of each other. We know which frequency to contact each other in. We know the, the names of the leaders of each of the teams, and we know the, the, the strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, I've got some good medical skills. If somebody gets hurt over there, I'm perfectly willing to go over there and bandage them up and do what I can to stabilize them. All right, Stephen, and- i got to jump in here again. We'll take another time out, come back. And um, we need to talk about uh, some other areas. Uh, for example, education. How are we going to educate our young people? We'll do that uh, on the other side as we continue to discuss the complete guide to forming communities for mutual aid, support, and charity. Stefan Verstappen, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just a reminder... My podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com to listen and subscribe. ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We just celebrated uh, the second anniversary. And we've surpassed 4 million unique downloads. And it's really starting to chart on uh, on Apple uh, for example, it's in the top 250 podcasts in the news and politics category in the U.S. You can imagine there are tens of thousands, perhaps more, uh, podcasts in this category. It's now, uh, I think, in the top 250 in the U.S. Uh, coming up next week on the program, UFO disclosure advocate Stephen Bassett will be here, along with Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. And obviously, we'll be talking about uh, disclosure. Uh, next week's show will uh, will be our final program for 2019. Our final program of 2019. And, uh, of course, we'll have more great shows coming your way throughout 2020. Uh, this hour, we're going to... Um we're going to move open lines to next week. Uh, there's so much here to discuss with uh, author, researcher, survivalist Stefan Verstappen. And his new book uh, is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. I wanted to ask you about education. This is something I know a little bit about because uh, we homeschool our, our, our twin boys. And in fact, uh, we are part of a homeschooling co-op. Uh, one day a week, a bunch of parents get together. It was organized by a wonderful uh, uh, woman up in Markham. And uh, so the uh, the parents pooled our resources. And on Mondays, we hired a couple of teachers. Um, we rent out a church basement. And, you know, not, not all homeschoolers are equipped to teach certain subjects. So, so for example, you know, physics and biology, I, I really can't do that at home. So we hired a physics teacher. Um, I teach logic. Uh, we have a gymnasium, so you know on every Monday they have uh, gym and physics and uh, and logic. So that's a homeschooling co-op. Is that the same type of thing that you're you're suggesting for education? That that's exactly what I'm suggesting. I'm really proud of you, Richard, because that is a, exactly what I'm suggesting, and for a number of reasons. Number one. The major problem in our society is our public education system. It's not there to educate people there. It's there to indoctrinate them into a socialist, communist ideology that's destroying Western civilization. I've never seen more numbers of dumb people going to college than I have recently. It's not, they're not there to get an education. They're there to be indoctrinated. And not only 
indoctrinated into this, you know, leftist type of political ideology, they're also indoctrinated to be consumers and narcissistic and selfish. You know, I've seen it now with a lot of my friends because, like I said, I'm 62, and I know a lot of my friends, they had kids. And when the kids were, you know, 6, 10, they were adorable. They were really nice. Now they're all 16, 17, 18, 20, and they're just awful people. They don't care about their parents. All they care about is money. All they care about is self-aggrandizement. All they care about is selfies and, and getting the most expensive fashion and makeup. And I mean, they're just horrible people. They give nothing back to their families, nothing back to their communities. They don't seem to care about anything or anyone but themselves. It's awful, but that's how they are trained in our educational system. And so for me, the education system is one of the worst things I call it child abuse. To send your child to public school is child abuse. So a big part of my strategy for this guide to forming communities is homeschooling. And I I, I lay out exactly what you are doing. You get some families together. You go to a church basement or maybe you can rent a room at the library or rent a room at the community center if you need to hire teachers, uh, you know, for 30 bucks an hour to come in and teach for two, three hours a week, you can afford to do that because it and your children, we, we you know, study after study has shown that homeschooled children surpass public school children in every facet of learning. Their, their subjects, they, they score higher on every subject. But more importantly for me is that homeschooled children show greater empathy and greater ability to cooperate and work together. That's not something kids learn in public school. They don't learn empathy there. They learn everybody's in it for themselves, money, money, money. And so really the solution to a lot of our world's problems, because, you know, it's the next generation is, is really going down a bad road, the only way to stop it is to teach children real valuable lessons, not just, you know, mathematics and science, but also valuable lessons in empathy, mutual support, working together, caring about each other, giving back to the, not just the community, but to the world, to nature, you know. Right. And so what you have described, I have described in this book. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it- Let's face it, though, homeschooling isn't for everybody. So, But if you form a co-op, you don't necessarily have to teach your own child. Exactly, and that's what I... But I you'll be hiring the, the teacher, and there'll be another parent. Exactly, and then, and then you can move it about, too, because I know the problem with homeschooling is, let's say you have both parents work. Who's going to stay home with the kids? Um, you know, and nowadays everybody has to work because you you got to pay the hydro bill for crying out loud. So, but by joining a co-op, a, 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 a homeschooling cooperative, then even if you can't teach your own kids, but you can donate, you know, 50 bucks a month or whatever it is, then your kids can go over to Aunt Betty's house three doors down because she's teaching her kids and she can take in your kids and you buy them lunches, and then if they get, then they can all go two days a week to the church, and you've hired a special teacher to teach a specific 
topic there. I mean, we can work it out, you know. Right. And these are not, these are, uh, um, again, I know from firsthand experience that the people that are running a lot of these co-ops, these homeschooling co-ops, they're former, they're educators. They've dropped out of the public school system. And now because they've seen, you know, what's going on there and they wanted, they want, so, you know, this is, it's like dropping, really, it's like, Falling off the grid, isn't it? It's like you, because you're 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 dropping out of uh, sort of government services and so forth, and you're and you're creating your own, uh, you know, board of education. You're creating your own, uh, uh, well, food co-op. We talked about that. Like healthcare system, etc. Uh, yeah. So how does how does this fight back against the new world order, which is really what the, sort of the topic we we or the, the title we gave this uh, this discussion tonight? How you can defeat the new world order by doing this? How how does it fight back against globalism and the new world order? Oi, Richard, you keep reading my mind. You keep asking the question I'm just about to address. Um, so, how does this affect the new world order? Listen, the problem is you have a thing called the state. You know, people call it the government, whatever. I don't don't like the term government because it implies that we elect these people and things like that. We don't. They're put in place there by the psychopaths that print the money. And so everything has to follow their agenda. And their agenda for the world is total slavery. They love that stuff. I have a video out and a, and a, and a short booklet called Defense Against the Psychopath. In order to understand why the world is so screwed up, you need to understand the psychology of psychopaths. They're, 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 they're really not part of the human species because their mentation, the mentality is so completely different from ours. Most people can't understand them, but they're very dangerous and they're very successful because they will do anything to achieve power. They will lie, steal, cheat, murder, seduce, blackmail, bribe, whatever it is. These people have no moral compass whatsoever. So when they see power, power attracts psychopaths. Because psychopaths, their mentality, it's very easy to predict a psychopath. They love to see other people suffer. That's it. Whereas, you know, if you, you know... you know, you're playing with your kids and you're throwing a stick to the dog and you get a lot of joy from that. You know, a beautiful summer day out in the park and you're playing with the kids and they're in the, in, in the water, the, the, the water fountain and the dog's running around and the wife's cooking, uh, bringing out the picnic. I mean, this is beauty. This is love. This is what life should be. This is exactly what drives psychopaths crazy. They hate that. They hate happiness. They, nothing drives them crazier than to see Richard out with his family enjoying life. That drives them over the edge. They just hate you for that. And they want to destroy that. And so, because they're attracted to power, and because they're so ruthless, they will attain power. And what happens is, every government is eventually controlled by these people. So now everything that the government controls is now twisted, it's degraded, it's mutated into something you can only describe as evil. So the government takes over education, and now we have six-year-old boys dressed as girls 
doing strip acts in 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 gay bars. That's the that's what you know. The Boy Scouts are gone. Well, the sexualization both- of children is certainly in the in in uh, in the schools uh, is yeah it's. It's not right. Yeah. Listen, we'll, we'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss how we can uh, build our own communities, forming communities, the complete guide to forming communities. Stefan Verstappen, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Stefan Verstappen, the author of The Complete Guide to Forming Communities, which he says offers plans and solutions to solve many of the problems plaguing Western society. Forming a support network in communities may be, he says, the only way to survive some kind of economic cataclysm or other natural or man-made disaster. And the ultimate goal of this guide, he says, is to help free us from the shackles of the New World Order. And again, uh, this is a crowd-funded uh, project. How can people com- uh, contribute to the completion of uh, this book? Well, if they go to uh, GoFundMe.com forward slash how to create a community. And um, I'm just asking people to order an advanced copy. Order a, a PDF uh, for 10 bucks. That will fund my uh, uh, process of completing this book, and it's taking so long because, as you can see, Richard, I mean, I've literally thought of everything. If this goes wrong, then what? If that fails, then how can we survive? If you know we're in competition with them, then what can we do to solve that? I'm going through every possible scenario and providing all the answers I can, but in an easy to follow way because I know, I know people. We don't. People don't have time to go and research, you know, incorporations or charters or or uh, how to run a meeting or bylaws. Or I've even got like medical questionnaires that members should fill out so that you know when they're coming into your group if they if they have a medical problem because medical team needs to be able to prepare for that. So if you got a diabetic, medical team knows that they should have extra insulin on hand and and stockpile it for for the little team members so it's everything is like but it's a very complex it's, it's a lot of work to try and think of everything that could go wrong and find a solution for it but the solution is ultimately teamwork you know and by doing what we do with the community we separate as much as we can it's not like bugging out to a uh, a farmstead somewhere you know off grid but it is off-grid, but within the city, within the suburb, within the community that we live in now. Right. We can go off-grid, right? So I'm not – because the, the, the whole problem with everybody going up to the farm is that, man, then you get infighting and, and Bob didn't wash the dishes for two weeks, so let's go beat him up while he's sleeping, you know? Right. Well, here's, here's a, a possible pitfall, and that is, you know, we understand human nature, uh, and, and I believe that – Man is essentially, you know, we're 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 bad. We're we're uh, we are um, we're liable to do bad things. And when when um, when things get bad, sometimes you know we can be at our best, but we can also be at our worst. That's just the way human nature is. How do you prevent someone within your community 
from basically turning into an absolute tyrant? How do you ensure that that won't happen within your own community? It happens on a larger scale. It happens in corporations. It happens in, uh, you know, on school boards. It happens uh, at the PTA. It happens in every social organization. Somebody, a sociopath, as you say, or a psychopath, rises to the top. How do you guard against that in your own community? Well, I include a questionnaire. Now, it's a secret questionnaire. People are asked to fill it out, but they don't know why they're asked to fill it out. But it's a questionnaire to spot psychopaths. It's a psychopath checklist as former. Richard, seriously, I've thought of that. I've thought, <laughs> how, how do we keep the psychopaths out of our community? Because you let one of these psychopaths in, then kiss the whole community goodbye because that's what happens in government. They get into government, forget about government, everything turns to crap. You get one of these people in your community, everything turns to crap. So I even have a questionnaire. So let's well, say is it like a personality I, test? Is it one of those Briggs? It's a personality what are test. It just gives you a clue. You know, right. it's not foolproof. There is no foolproof method for this. You know, none of these solutions are foolproof. But boy, I've tried to figure everything that could go wrong and provide an answer for it. First of all, everybody has to sign that they are willing to obey the charter. Now, why we still have rule of law? If they break that. Uh, their oath to that charter, they're legally responsible. You can sue them because it's a legal contract. I agree to obey these rules. I will not take more than any, but whatever it is that it's in the charter. And if somebody, you know, comes in, steals all the food or takes it all and doesn't bring it back, well, you sue the bastard. So long as there's a, you know, right now, you know, with the rule of law, we can do that. But also, once the rule of law is gone, everybody has to swear a sacred oath to follow that charter. That's what all these old, you know, uh, uh, mutual aid societies did. They all had to swear an oath. I have to swear an oath when I was a when I was a Cub Scout, right? Dib, right. dib, dib, dob, 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 right? Everybody had to All right. More than that, I don't know what else to say. You know, I, there's going to be awful people everywhere, but what I'm trying to do is weed them out as much as possible. Also, you might want to have a prerequisite for members that join your community. That proves, and this is what they did, and I'm taking this as an example from artists' colonies. Now, in the 1800s, there were numerous mutual aid societies that that uh, catered exclusively to artists. It was a beautiful thing. They would have, sometimes it would be just a single house, and two or three artists would live there, and they would, you know, share the, the expenses, and they could spend time working on their art. In other cases... Artists would move into a small town and they would buy up, you know, half of the houses there. So every other house was an artist. And then they would, again, do what I'm suggesting here, you know, uh, a lending circle, a buying group. They would pool their resources to help support each other. But they owned the whole town. It was a whole town full of artists that pooled their resources so that they could support each other, so that they could afford the time and, and the artist's materials to produce art and put on art fairs and run a gallery and things like that. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Right. Is there any need to have your own currency? No. No. I, I don't cover that at all. I don't think currency is a need. You could do man hours, you know, so I'll, I'll come and help help gardening for two hours, but then you got to come and help me fish for two hours, you know. Right. A bar- <coughs> In other words, a barter system. It's a barter system, and people know what's fair. You don't have to lay it out. You, okay. You I've got to take another time out here, Stefan. We'll, uh, we'll come back and uh, finish up. Stefan Verstappen, 
The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. Back with more in a moment. Beaming across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Stefan Verstappen, and uh, we're talking about his new project, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. These are mutual aid societies, uh, which could be used um, even when times are relatively stable, uh, as we, we mentioned in the first hour, as you described in the first hour, you could simply uh, form a community in, in, in order to combat rising food prices. So you form a food co-op. You become, you and 10 other families, you become, you get a, a wholesaler's license. And now all of a sudden you can, you can buy food at wholesale prices and then just distribute it to your, to your community, to your group. Uh, but it's also laid out in this, in this guide in case of a natural disaster, uh, a, th- a three day, uh, power outage, a three week power outage, a three month, uh, power outage. What if it goes, what if it's a major EMP event, uh, Stefan, and there's no, there's no sign of civil, civility coming back in the foreseeable future? We're talking about maybe even years. By some estimates, if, if there was an EMP event, uh, we would have 90% fatality rate, by some estimates, in North America within the first year. Because you, you can imagine with no electricity, that means there's no water filtration, there's no uh, refrigeration, uh, there's no security. Uh, it, it would just be madness for the, you know, for the, it would take 10 years by some estimates to bring the power grids back up. So would, what, what do you do then? Well, I've thought of that too, Richard. <laughs> I hate, hate to sound like a smarty pants, but I've gone through that scenario. I've, I've, I've gone through that. So, Level four preparedness. Level four preparedness means that your community has enough stockpile of food and uh, equipment and, and, and I list everything that you need to buy on, on a week by week, month by month basis. Within a year, you can get five families up to a level four and that means you can survive for a year or indefinitely. So what happens then is that all the teams morph into long range planning and programming. So shelter team is uh, responsible for building extra buildings and, and greenhouses and uh, storage sheds um, so that maybe we need to have two or three families move into my property and we'll build an extra cabin in the backyard and we'll build a greenhouse and then nourishment team can come in and they can dig a fish pond and they can run the greenhouse and grow extra food. And then security team, we can go up and down the river here fishing and hunting and bring in extra food and, and, and of course, wild edibles. Um, medical team can grow a herb garden. They can set up a small emergency hospital. We'll, we'll get the stuff together. Like after a year, you know, you'll have surgery kits. Maybe you'll have an automatic defibrillator, maybe an ultrasound machine. And, um, hope, and also you'll have the manuals. Now, when the, the power goes out and everything turns to crap. Um, you've got a lot of time to read. And so if you get my uh, survival library, which, which has you know 280 books, uh, you spend a lot of time reading. Then teach yourself how to perform minor surgery. And especially somebody that's already got a nursing degree or, or a physiotherapist or somebody that's a, 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 an EMT, 
they already have, they, they, they know some of the skills, they, they know anatomy. If you let them spend the next two months going through medical manuals, they'll figure it out. And also, it's in my book, the kind of medical equipment you should be buying. In the beginning, a three-day first aid kit, yes. But by the end of the year, you should have suture kits, you should have scalpels, you should have Novocaine, you should have a stockpile of antibiotics. Are you going to have to scavenge have- this? Would you have a scavenging team? I mean, we're, we're not talking about stealing. We're talking about when, when, when there's absolutely no, there's no government, there's no civil uh, order at all, uh, and well, places are abandoned. Are you going to send out a scavenging team to find materials and drugs and so forth? Absolutely. Well, if you follow the plan, you will have stockpiled this after a year. I mean, it's not that expensive. It depends on how much money you have. I mean, this this plan is also scalable. You could have a homeless community follow this plan, and they will benefit from it. They won't be able to do everything, say, a middle-class uh, a team could do, but they will vastly improve their chances of survival and their quality of life. I mean, and again, I got this idea from China. The beggars in China had a union, and they were very successful, and they were quite wealthy. When you were a beggar in China, you were not poor. They had a union, looked after each other. You know? So this is this could be applied to the homeless, which is just an absolute tragedy here in this city. Uh, Absolutely applied to the homeless. I've got a complete plan: emergency survival. So, you know, where are you going to store excess food? Uh, well, you know, there's different places throughout the city and uh, you cooperate and you work together. And, and, and again, you know, working together as a team is a force multiplier. Like there's a lot of things I can do by myself, but I can do three times as much if I have one other person with me. I can do 10 times as much if I have three other people with me. I can do 20 times as much if I have five people working with me. Well, the problem with, with though, with forming a community within the homeless population is you have a great deal of, um, you know, mental health issues. You have addictions. Uh, they're not necessarily going to have the wherewithal to pull together. No, those people you can't save. A lot. Uh, yeah, there is a problem with that. It's about 10% uh, of the homeless are, have serious medical problems. And right now, I think it's a tragedy that they're homeless. They should be in hospitals. They used to call that sanatoriums. Now we think it's a mental assignment. But in the olden days, it was when you had, right. you know. Uh, and we've linked up to your website. If, they, if people go to strangeplanet.ca and then go to the conspiracy show, under tonight's show information, just click on uh, Stefan's name, and that'll take you to the website. That's ChinaStrategies.com? Yes. ChinaStrategies.com. We can separate ourselves from the state in every which way we can, more self-reliant and self-sufficient. We will survive anything they can throw at us. And again, the uh, the GoFundMe to help get this uh, complete guide to forming a community, uh, how do they do that? GoFundMe forward slash how to create a community it all makes sense and as you've pointed out you've thought of everything it's all in this complete guide which will hopefully be published soon thank you so much for this you're welcome richard thank you very much for having me back on my pleasure stefan verstappen all right my thanks to uh, owen wolf and ryan white back next week with uh victor vigiani and steve bassett talking ufo disclosure And in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.